No memory exists in isolation. To recall one moment of your life is to recall 50 others, following a road of thought connecting each moment in oftentimes superficial ways. A sound, a place, the fact that you usually tell one story right behind telling another one. Memories thrive in relationship to each other, only being truly lost when all inbound roads break down. And so, to understand someone's most important memory, you need to understand the rest as well. Humans and visitants, elderly and young, welcome to Octofest, the beyond yearly celebration of the first eight worlds. Stands peddling homemade goods and experimental foods based on the mythical former eight worlds, performers recreate the cultural traditions of civilizations long gone. In the distance, we can hear the yells of two warring armies as they recreate the fifth Armageddon with wooden nuclear weapons. A few stalls away, families meander through living historical artifacts from the planet of the eighth. And on the stage right by, a man wrapped in multiple layers of coats plays half a dozen instruments connected to him by chords. His calloused hands beat red in rhythm to the instruments he keeps bumping into, and half the crowd seems to be ignoring his performance, but the scarves wrapped around his mouth smile anyway. Because, in the middle of this overwhelmingly dull and bored crowd, he can see a puff of excited frizzy red hair rise above the rest, and he knows that somewhere beneath that hair, squished between the meandering masses, a pair of loving eyes is watching him back. Ellie, what do those eyes see? Well, you just described him. I'm confused. <laughs> well, like, what does he look like to you? <laughs> oh, fucking hell. It's we good. just started. Starting well, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I was really nervous. No, I'm who, ready. Okay, Ellie, who do, no, those I, uh, who do those eyes see? Those eyes see Carl. Carl is... A strange and happy young man, talented musically, or so Ellie thinks. I'm not sure if he actually is. I don't know if we decided on that. Fucking <laughs> wow, just go at Carl. And very sweet and kind and gentle with calloused hands. They work hard <laughs> making music out of very strange things. But when you say all this, and when Ellie say it, says all this, because you gotta, you know when someone asks, when you and Carl get together, you know what they're really asking, but it's always every time led by this preamble, this manifesto about who this man Carl is. But every time, she gets the same response. Yeah, we get it, he's your husband. This man fucking sucks. Did someone say this? Yeah, you see a, a guy with like just... Like, hair that goes straight up and, like, you know, that block? See this dude with that and a nose ring? He's like, ah, this man fucking sucks. Ellie whips around, and her loving eyes are no longer focused on Carl, and they are no longer loving. And she decks this man. This fist comes out and hits the guy in the face, and he just, like, bats it away, annoyed. And we turn back, and now we get a full view of what Ellie Badge, 20 years young, looks like. 
And she is not the stocky, metal-in-her-bones woman she was at older age. She's small and squishy and fragile, and her her cheeks are both rosy and pale at the same time. And her hair is like frizzy. She has red-orange hair that just frizzy is frizzy and curls in every which direction. And she has a fury in her eyes that I'm assuming doesn't leave. No. But that does not fill any fear in this man. In this boy. He's a boy. He's probably like 50. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna try to hit him twice more, missing once. Just stop. <sighs> stop it. Stop brushing me away. I'm beating you up. <laughs> All right, this lady leans next to him and she's like, has a crop top and like a belly button ring. And she's like, got a toothpick in her mouth. She's like, I don't know. It might not be hurting him, but you're killing me, girl. So pathetic. And she spits out the toothpick at your face. Ellie goes to bat it away. I don't know if she does it successfully or not. You bat it away and it it gets stuck in your hair. Ellie turns her eyes towards the woman. Well, don't die yet, because you're next. Why are you even here? I don't know. And as this little... It's not even a scuffle. As this is happening, uh, it's kind of drowned out as we move back and we see that this band that has been playing is finally wrapped up. And the man in front is so excited, he just sees that little puff of hair bouncing up and down and he's just like, oh, my wife is so excited that I'm, I'm, I'm performing. And he's like... All right, everyone, thank you so much. It's time now to say goodbye with the goodbye song. That was all we had today, and boy, we had some fun. Now go make your cabaret, singing's never done. At the goodbye song, which she has heard time and time again, Ellie will put up a finger to the boy and the woman and say, I'll be back for you later. (laughs) And then hurry forward. You hurry forward. uh, I'm assuming clapping very enthusiastically. Yeah, probably like shoulder checking (laughs) people to try to get through (laughs) faster. So there's very tepid clapping in that we see this like fuzzy hair, like ferociously clapping coming from it. And then you see it just like jump and hit some of the crowd and then fall down and then get back up and just say like, oh, excuse me, starting to squeeze its way through again and Carl is like oh, thank you thank you and he's just very very excited and then as the crowd starts to leave it gives way for the two rockers that you met to make eye contact with Carl hey encore encore uh, encore that fucking sucked my babe is here I need a romantic song yeah we need a romantic song not some of that fluffy elementary nonsense well uh we don't do encores that was all the music I had Ellie will launch herself at both of them Ellie, you turn around to launch and they actually pick up uh, some tomatoes from the second world, some tomatoes, and they start throwing it at Carl and you hear the instruments, you hear it start banging against the drum and squishing in and like the instruments start sounding all sticky and gross. And you just hear Carl say, wait now, now. Just just give me a moment. I think I can. He pulls out a guitar and you start to hear like some really bad notes as he's trying to figure something out. Like love, 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 romance. And what do you do as he's trying to figure it out? 
I want to look at this couple with just hate. You don't deserve to hear his music. And before they're able to make a rebuttal, you feel something brush next to you. And you hear a melody come out from Carl's guitar. And you're not sure how to describe it, but it is it is love distilled into song. And you turn over and, and you see that he is looking into your eyes. And then eventually he's out of notes to play and he just looks at you. All the anger has left. Everyone deserves song when it's got something so beautiful to say. But... But they're mean. They're cruel. Why should they get to hear that? And he puts his hand on your cheek. Because you deserve to have the world know about you. Ugh, so sappy. I hope you go fall in a ditch and can't get out. Because it's too deep. There are rocks at the bottom. Oh, uh, and Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and Carl laughs a little bit at your attempts to be fearsome. He just says, come on, let's, uh, let's see the rest of the show. Uh, and so you two go off. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. By the way. <laughs> you two go off hand in hand and cymbal and drum and trombone and He's just got a bunch of gear uh, and he didn't have a place to put it. So he's just carrying it the whole time. But you go through basically this Ren fair, but this Ren fair isn't just for the Renaissance, highly misinterpreted. It's for the former eight worlds, highly misinterpreted. Since your world you live in is one billion years in the future from today, eight apocalypses have happened. And so you are now in the ninth world and there are eight worlds before that and people love to speculate what happened in them. And they love making pun names off of them, which I don't think they ever realize puns. Uh, this is the Octofest name in part because it's for the previous eight worlds, and also because it's run by the Octopi, uh, an intelligent species which is the only one that has uh, all records going back to all worlds. So yeah, you're basically at a Ren fair for sci-fi stuff. What are you two gonna do? I'm sorry, excuse me. Are you saying they have records of the first eight worlds? Are you saying that Octopi are keeping records right now? Yes, they're keeping track. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not scoring well. <laughs> Ellie is just getting distracted. Each new stall, there's something new to drag Carl to and stare at for a couple minutes and then get bored of and go <laughs> look at something else. Uh, and every time, um, you can tell when he likes something because Carl, half the reason he does music is he really likes to just take the things he sees and he observes in the world and turn them into song. So you can tell he really likes things that he starts like picking at his guitar or his, his key is a guitar as well. He starts picking at a little guitar for. And every time he starts fiddling with a few notes, you hear, Whoa! as you just drag him away to the next stall. Because while Ellie at this uh, does not have the strength with which to pull him, uh, she has the emotional pull. So to him, even the tiniest tug on his lapel feels like he's just being yanked off his feet. And in fact, that's his response every time. Ellie complains about like, well, I'm not that strong. He'll always say, well, you swept me off my feet. Ellie likes to tell people, if that's ever brought up, that she really did. <laughs> and then finally, after going from place to place and Carl talking to, uh, just making, making way too many friends, you finally get to the hat stand. And in front of it, you see uh, a standing octopus doing a handstand while wearing multiple hats on uh, their appendages. And they just say, well, this is degrading. But it catches your eye like your Carl is very amused by it. And uh, he kind of says, well, uh, we got to go back. But do you want to stop at this one last place first? Yes. 
You walk in and there are hats everywhere. Hats, masks. Carl comes out at one point and he's wearing like this very ugly fedora. Well, I think it looks great. It It's a look, sweetie. That's what I was going for. And you meander and meander and eventually you're confronted by wearing a, a pink floral hat. This octopus lady with like really heavily put on mascara. Like she, she's got like- On uh, what? On her octopus face. Do you know what mascara is, Kyle? Uh, yeah, she's made fake eyelashes <laughs> with her octopus. Don't question me. Um, <laughs> with and, her she, and she's like, can I help you with anything, madame? May I see your biggest hat? And she looks you down, and she sees just your tiny little squishy thin body. I put my hands on my hips and puff out my chest a little bit. Uh, Ellie puffs out what chest she doesn't have, <laughs> and she's like, I think this is a bit in your fashion. And she pulls out just this tiny little hat. Your largest hat. We adjust the hat for the wear. Yeah, that's why I need the biggest. Hey, 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 what's going on here? She gave me a tiny hat and I asked for a big one. And she implied that I was small. I only implied it because I do not have the opportunity to say it in earnest. You are small. Well, I think that you should respect her ability to understand what she can handle. Your biggest hat, please. And he, you can see he's actually kind of fired up a little bit, uh, but then he puts on a little, uh, little bit of a smile and tries to be pleasant, and she's like, Oh, one second. Ellie has started beaming and grabs his hand and like squeezes it a little like, thank you, good job. Deep breath, dear. <laughs> and she comes back and she is holding an ugly as fuck, bright red, obnoxiously fancy, obnoxiously ornate Kentucky Derby hat. You feel like you could fit your fucking house in this thing. It's so big. <laughs> it is absurd. Just my size. And Ellie's gonna hold out her hands and lean forward a tiny bit, waiting for it to be set on her head. The octopus, I don't think octopi can roll their eyes, but you see a little- You, you just said she you, was wearing mascara. Yeah, but you see like a little glint of light, like kind of flutter as the eyes probably were rolling, even though you couldn't tell. Oh, and she gently puts the hat on your head and you struggle a little bit holding it up and like you almost shrink two inches as you're like, like not being able to withstand it, but- you keep your head held as high as you can. That will be 700 shins, please. 700 shins? Oh, 700, but it says up there, we can charge whatever we want for whatever customer. It's called capitalism. It's a second world thing. Ellie's gonna kind of throw her head forward so that the hat flops off her head. Well, I didn't want it anyway. Yeah, 
doing us a favor. And grab Carl by the hand and start stomping out. You start stomping out and and like tears are starting to fill your eyes. No, they're not. And for the first time, uh, when you pull him, Carl doesn't move. Carl, come on. Well, no, I, I, uh, let's see, I got 50 here. And then if I, and he starts, pulls down like a metal appendage, a little metal arm that he, uh, a pole arm that he used to, uh, bang the drums. Uh, and since in the beyond where you live, currency is just whatever fancy thing you can make into currents, into things. He starts just like ripping off piece by piece. He's like, all right, uh, 41, 42, 43. Carl, Carl. No, no, I can... 45. Carly, it's fine. It's fine. 271. 272. Yeah, please stop. It has been three hours later and Carl has disassembled most of his band stuff and he's just reaching around and he finally ends with 270. 278 is all I've got. I'm sorry. Carl, you didn't... I... You didn't have to... Carl... It's it's okay. I don't need it. It really doesn't, Carl. Ma'am, my husband has just disassembled his incredible collection of instruments to try to buy me a hat from one of the rudest people I have ever met in my entire life, and I hope all your hats fall into a ditch with that's really deep and has rocks at the bottom. This is Ellie's default <laughs> wish for people. <laughs> hope you hope you go in a ditch and die. <laughs> uh, and as you're giving this rant, you start to hear another small song come out of the guitar. And Carl just looks up with these like, he tries to put on as much of a smolder as his little 20 year old old man face can put muster. And he says, well, Suppose you wouldn't pay the rest with the song. And then the next thing you see, the octopus lady has grabbed both of you with four of her eight considerable tentacles, thrown you out, said, don't come back, and slammed the tent on you. Ellie kicks it. Take three points of white damage. (laughs) The beyond lies past the steadfast, where well-settled cities and towns give way to small rough-and-tumble pockets of civilization peppered across an uncultivated land. This is where Carl and Ellie lived, on the edge of a village so quiet that when the leaves rustled they could be heard from one end to the other. It was appropriately named Russell. They hadn't built a house so much as enthusiastically hammered together a bunker-shaped pile of metal, wood, and dac tape. They'd realized too late that the metal stakes holding it steady poked straight through the walls and ceiling. Ellie was lucky, most of them were too tall for her to catch on. Carl learned to avoid them eventually. Ellie would claim that she'd always loved Carl. Ever since she smacked him in the face on accident when they were six and made him cry, she'd apologized, he'd rubbed his cheek and smiled timidly, and she'd decided that they were going to get married. Carl would claim that he'd always loved Ellie, ever since he saw her try and fail to break a rock and chew on it in frustration when they were five. Before that, even, he loved music. He used it to express the things he couldn't quite say and to process things he couldn't quite understand. Ellie loved how Carl would forget the day of the week, but never someone's favorite color, and how his own favorite color would change by the hour, how with his music he could say the things there were no words for, and how beautiful that music was. She loved the silly, splotchy birds he'd painted next to her crooked blue flowers on the bedroom wall. 
Carl loved how Ellie got unreasonably excited every time he had a performance, how she told rambling stories and laughed at her own bad jokes, how only he was allowed to know that she could knit. He loved dancing around the kitchen table with her until one of them inevitably tripped over the jutting door frame. It was about a 50-50 chance which one of them it would be on any one night. And Carl and Ellie were happy. The deep echoing sound of a Tyrannosaurus echoes through the cliffside. Um, Is that the sound a Tyrannosaurus makes? Yes, the Tyrannosaurus echoes through the cliffside. This Tyrannosaurus, which is a giant T-Rex rooster with bony arms underneath normal sized wings, well giant wings, is the domesticated version of the Tyrannosaurus flex. It's used by the town of Russell in order to detect any incoming threats, uh, but it's also used to mark the beginning and the end of work. So because of that sound, you know immediately that Carl is about to come home for work. And what is your routine like when you know Carl's coming back? Um, Ellie just kind of drops whatever she's been doing. Sometimes she sets it down if it's something fragile or that would spill a lot. If it spills a little, sometimes she'll just drop it and hurry over to the window. To wait for him. Uh, Carl's just walking up the pathway. He's whistling to himself. And you can see, like, his hat do a little dance on the top of his head as he whistles. The scarf he has bundled around his throat, just like, uh, each side just tick-tocks up and down along with rhythm. And his shoes are almost tapping of their own accord. And in his arms, you see that he has a box. This is so exciting. It's a big box. And this has been the first time he has, besides his guitar, he gave up all his instruments. He kept them broken. And he insists he wasn't going to get anything new. Uh, but you see this box, this big exciting box, and you're like, well, maybe, maybe this time, especially because he's feeling so musical and, and he hasn't whistled in a, in, a, in a bit of a while. I'll throw the door open, but unlike the usual routine of then flinging herself at Carl, Ellie will just run up to meet him. What's the box? Oh, and he, hi and he quickly hides it behind his back. Do you want me to pretend I didn't see it? Uh, maybe. Ellie is going to turn around and walk back into the house and close the door and sit down in a chair and cross her legs like in a bad show of pretending that she was waiting. <laughs> All right, he's going to open the door uh, and you can see actually as the door opens, you can see that like the little scarf he had around opened it for him and he continues to whistle and it goes and it snakes up on the coat rack and his coat kind of flutters off like uh, wings and it flies on and the hat just like does the same thing because it's one of the ones that covers your ears. His shoes tip tap off to the side and like two slippers slide onto his feet, just like almost like excited dogs come and nuzzle in on his feet. And you see motion is kind of like a turn, turn, turn around. He doesn't say it. Okay. Is he motioning to turn her back to him? Yeah. Okay. She'll turn her back to him. She'll like shuffle around and try to look even more casual. So you turn around and then suddenly you feel heat on your face as a big, ugly, homemade cake slams down in front of you with three bright candles on it. And it says, happy 23rd birthday. And you hear a little, a little ta-da whistle. It's amazing, <laughs> I love it. Carl. Happy birthday. I, uh, I, I only spent a few hours on it. I could have used a few more practice cakes, but well, the last seven were kind of attracting the Tyrannosaurus. It's perfect. 
Also, uh, when did you get home, honey? <laughs> I didn't even know you were here. <laughs> All right, just, I got a lot for you, but just, let's, uh, and he opens the box and he starts digging into it. Just blow out the candle so we can dig into the cake. Uh, Ellie's gonna pop up before she blows out the candles and just give him a kiss on the cheek and then go back. <laughs> no peeking. I'm not peeking. And then she'll, like, move forward a little bit and be like, this time I'm trying to peek. Blow out the candles. Okay, fine. So blow them out. They come back on. What? Blow them out again. They come back on. Carl. And you, you turn over and you see that his shoulders are kind of raising and lowering a little bit. He's like, yes. Carl. Blow out the candles. She'll roll her eyes and blow them out. They go back on. Carl Badge, stop what? pretending that I need to blow them out. You blew out the... See, look! And he uh, waves his hand in front of one of the candles and blows it out. And it stays out. He says, well, I've done one of the three for you. Come on, I can't steal all the wishes. And How goes did back. you do that? I blew. You did not blow. I blew. See? <laughs> and he does the same thing to his second candle. Come on, there's one left. You gotta have at least one wish. I think this time Ellie's gonna remember to make a wish because she half has faith that they're actually gonna go out. You turn over, you blow, and the candle goes out. And it stays out. And you see Carl is leaning above you with his hand raised. And he quickly puts it down to the side like guilty. So, uh, what was your wish? No, wait, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Not allowed to know. Well, I was a little distracted anyway. How did you do it? I... Carl, there was a trick. Okay, let me show you. Let me show you. They're called uh, Everflames. So just one wave and the candle goes on. I'll stay on until... And he waves his hand back. You wave your hand back. But only the person who turns them on can put them off. So I don't know how you blew out that last one. Must be pretty magical. Must be. All right, let's get your gifts. And uh, Carl reaches into the box and he pulls out, just spills out like 70 different presents. That night you open up 46 pearls on a thread, one locket, five copper coins, and two necklaces, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. And when you're done and the flames are down on the side and the cake has been eaten, Carl picks up the cake and he starts walking towards the kitchen, being sure to duck underneath the dozens of protruding metal beams in this little bunker of a house. As she does every time he ducks under it, Ellie goes, oh, I'll have to fix that. <laughs> and he says, so, uh, was a uh, good birthday? Best birthday ever. Well, I, I hope I got you everything you wanted. Well, you didn't need to buy me anything for that. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. Thought is all that counts, but sometimes a few shins don't hurt either. And as he says that, he sits down and he places the cake sheet in front of you. And this cake is weird. It's big and it's red and it seems to be flattened out on all the edges. Then you realize this cake is also pretty ugly in a very fancy way. Because it's not a cake at all. It's the hat. It's the most beautiful thing she's ever seen. And Carl says, yeah, I uh, took some extra hours, but you like it? I love it. It's it's beautiful, Carl. Thank you. I uh, know I can't get everything you want all the time, but... uh. And he, after a moment, he sits and he picks up one of the candles and he sets it down. He says, I uh, promise you that whatever I can get you, whatever I do, I will do it with you from now forever. 
We'll do it together. And my love for you, and he waves his hand, the candle turns on, will never flame out. I'm sorry, that was a really bad pun. That was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I love you <laughs> so much. And he reaches in for a kiss. She'll return it and she'll just kind of like curl up on him. Oh, wait, wait. And he waves out the uh, the candle. Fire hazard. Sets it down and he goes in for a hug. Yeah, I would have started this place on fire. A few weeks later, you uh, you come into the main the main lobby and uh, you are wearing I'm assuming you're wearing this hat. How are you making it so that you don't like just break your neck wearing this hat? Like, Do you have like anything to brace it on your head or? So you know how you'll see like in movies, servers will carry the trays on both hands over their heads. Yeah, it's kind of like that. How do you do? OK, I just need to know because I know Ellie wore this all the time. How do you do like random chores like the dishes? Is there just like a little like area of broken dishes underneath the like sink as you tried to use them with both elbows, <laughs> but took time trying to figure out how to do it? Well, more like she would like squunch her neck down so her shoulders were up and stick her elbows up to help with the hat brim while she used her hands to wash the dishes. <laughs> Uh, glad to know Ellie Badge was always a human disaster. Always. So you walk down and you uh you see uh Carl humming to himself as he's as he's playing that song on the guitar he played. He's like, oh Ellie, Ellie, uh, I, I know we gotta go quick, but uh I've been trying out some new lyrics for that that song I played, and I, I want to know what you thought. All right, uh, one, two, Ellie, Ellie, Ellie. You know that, uh, I felt like I had a lot more there when I, uh, first started writing. (laughs) I don't know, I just, I can't distill it into words. You're just being cheesy and romantic again. Uh, uh, (laughs) you did that on purpose. Only a little bit. And he gets up and kisses you on the cheek. Let's get going. So you walk outside to the Tyrannosaurus's beautiful swooning yell. That is completely difficult. (laughs) Uh, And you you go into town. So you're heading into town. And uh, what task are you going into town for? Um, we are going in to pick up some wood and some nails. There uh, was a hat incident. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little patching that needs to be done. So, yeah, so you walk into town. In the distance, you can see this large, scaly, feathery rooster with a giant, like, wide beak and, like, these big wings under which tiny little arms also flap alongside. And they almost look like bone. They're so skinny. Uh, and, and you can see the Tyrannosaurus keeping watch out. And it looks on edge, but honestly, it always looks on edge. Carl, I don't know why you think that thing is majestic. And he just turns around and shrugs. It's alive! And uh, as he does, he walks into the first... It almost looks like he walks into, like, a big bubble surrounding the city. It's about a dozen layers thick. And this bubble is used to protect the town against what's called the Iron Wind. It's like a wind that carries itself throughout the beyond. But it's filled with Numenera stuff, like nanomachines and stuff like that. And essentially, when it goes through, these nanomachines can break everything down to their, like, molecular level. And then reassemble them as they see fit. 
it can be harmless, but considering all the possibilities of what you can uh, turn yourself into, it's usually not. And you continue to make yourself to the uh, craft shop. Is that where you get wounded nails? Well, no, let's do arts and crafts. Arts and crafts in the beyond are very intense. Hobby lobbies are like <laughs> the weapon stores. <laughs> yeah, you walk in and you see just like this grizzled, jacked up dude with like muscles. And he's just got like a gun made out of like, it's a spud gun. Just a giant spud gun. And you're pretty, those are outlawed in the steadfast. But here in the beyond, where laws are a lot laxer, he's just got like five armored over himself. He looks a bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnie, you just got Arnie. Arnie's a good guy. Uh, he's a little bit... He's one of those guys... He's a nice guy, but he's one of those, like, I'm gonna have all my guns when, like, the apocalypse happens, guys. And he's convinced that when the Iron Wind comes, he can just shoot it with potatoes until it dies. Hey, Arnie. Ugh. And, uh... You make your way in, and Carl, uh, I, uh, have to grab a few things. I'll be back. And he goes, and he heads off to a different department. And so you get your wood, you get your nails, and then you get in line. And after a moment, you can just feel eyes staring at you. I'm gonna turn around. Nobody there except Arnie, and Arnie's admiring his spud gun. Gonna turn back around, and then I'm gonna turn around again, like, really fast. Like, I was trying to fake him out. You see Arnie, his lips are against the gun as if he was smooching it, and he just, like, looks at you wide-eyed. I'll use the momentum that happened from whipping my head and head around to turn around again, just in case. Now he's just looking- Arnie is very- looking very sheepish. Sorry, Arnie. Go back to what you were doing. And she'll kind of, like, not fully turn to look over her shoulder, but you know that kind of, like- uh, something's weird. So you look around and then you hear back from right in front of where you were standing. Your hat is big. Yup. <laughs> Do you look and see who you're saying that to? I'm answering as I'm looking. Okay. You turn over and you see beneath you in a little pink dress with two pigtails, this just wide-eyed girl with like giant eyes and a little mouth. My mom's isn't nearly that big. Can I, can I try it? Well, yeah, but maybe, um, let me wait until my husband gets back over here. He can help me hold it up. It's pretty heavy. Okay. I'm, I'm Marcella. Marcella? Mm-hmm. I'm Ellie. Hi, Ellie. And she starts, like, getting a little excited. We're like, well, we should get him. Where is your mom? My mom? Oh, um, and she looks at, uh, the woman and she looks at the woman checking people out. She's a little busy right now, but I just, I come by to say hi sometimes. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, well, I mean, if she works here, she'll be right here when we come back, right? Actually, no, that's really sketchy. Don't follow me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what am I saying? I know you're impatient, but I think we should just wait until Carl gets back. But, all right, we can wait for when, when he gets back. One, two. Okay, is he back? Is that him? And she points to Arnie behind you. No, that's Arnie. He likes guns. Well, guns are heavy. Could he hold up the hat? I mean, I guess. But Ellie doesn't actually make a move to go over there. My hat is really special. 
No, I understand when things are pretty special. She shows a little like decorative flower that she has on her lapel. My daddy got this for me. It's really special to me. So you know how I feel. Yeah, I guess I can wait. Is Carl gonna come yeah. back? <laughs> well, Ellie's gonna like step out a line maybe. Okay. Kneel down next to her or something. Okay. she's small. Yeah. Yeah. Keep keep conversation going. Have you ever seen the Iron Wind before? No, I haven't. I heard it was scary. Oh, it is, but sometimes I'll watch it. You will? When I see it out in the distance. At least the Tyrannosaurus watches out for it now. Do you like the Tyrannosaurus? It's a little scary, especially when it makes it and suddenly you hear a Like a fucking tornado siren. And you, Ellie, look out. And that was a little bit of a fib. You've never actually looked at the iron wind before. So you can't know for sure that what is coming is the iron wind. But there's nothing else it could be. One can't describe the iron wind. Unlike the scraping, scuttering cyclone of the Apocrita, the Iron Wind is not concrete. It is not reliable. This dust storm literally formed the beyond. It's a roaming mass of technology that converts whatever crosses its path into something else, breaking its victims down into their simplest components and restructuring them as it sees fit, assuming it has any intent at all. And I don't say that you can't describe the Iron Wind out of laziness. I say it because the wind is just possibility. It is change distilled into a force of nature. The iron wind can be anything, and usually it leaves its victims with nothing. The iron wind is silent, but the Hobby Lobby craft store is not. As everyone lets out into just screams and, and panic, uh, you see Arnie just tackle Marcela's mom and just kind of like uh, hide her, protect her under his big body because he was in front of, uh, he was in the front of the line. Wait, um, but I thought we were in a bubble. Yeah, we're in a bubble right though. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, and as she says that, you can see that the first layer of the bubble kind of ripples out and it turns into stone and then it turns into gold and then it turns into glass and then it turns into sand and the sand falls down to the ground and the iron wind starts making quick work of the second line of the bubble yeah we are safe um actually do you want to go find carl to try on the hat i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know. <laughs> it's okay no and she starts crying and she runs off into one of the 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 shell but she runs off into one of the aisles uh and carl runs up to you and he's like oh Ellie, thank goodness i found you we need the bunker down quick is no, uh, are you all right no this marcella she she ran off what she's a little kid her mom's the cashier we have and ellie's gonna start running after her we gotta go find her all right yeah i'll, I'll get the mom you go you go run after her all right, so Ellie, you start running through the aisles and, and you, over this deafening silence, you can just hear uh, the further away you get from somebody, you can just hear this like soft sobbing uh, and you make your way through the aisles and eventually you see that Marcela is just um, hiding. She's hiding in between some of the boxes. She's sobbing to herself in the silence. And then you hear a scrape of a chalkboard as the second layer turns into chalk and is scraped into pieces and shutters. I'm gonna, like, is there a better place for us to hide nearby? Uh, if you try to get her to move, she wouldn't. 
okay, I'm gonna drop to my knees next to her and scoot up really close and try to like push back into the boxes a little bit more. All right. And Ellie leans her head down to the side so that wherever the nearest windows are, are blocked by the brim of the hat. It's not so scary. I know you know my hat is big, but did you know that it's magic? It's, it's magic? It's a really special kind of magic, but it's magic. See, the person I love the most in the whole world, he gave me this hat, and that gives it special powers. Your dad, he gave you, he gave you that flower, right? Mm-hmm. Then that's magic, too. They protect us, so we're gonna be okay. Okay, okay, okay. And then suddenly you uh, he- you feel something brush against you, almost like, you know, underneath, you're like in the, the shadow of the hat and you feel like something coarse hit you and like pump you, probably elbow you in the face. And a voice is, sorry, uh, she was, uh, Arnie's got her safe and there's no way I was moving that guy. <sighs> Carl. Hey. Oh, hey, little friend. <laughs> This is Marcela and Hey Marcela, hey, hey, can can you breathe with me? What what? Here, breathe with me, alright? Just I'm gonna count and we're gonna breathe in and breathe out. Uh I don't I don't think I I don't think I oh, come on, let's try it. Uh, Miss Sally will show you how to do it too, alright? In two three out two three in two three out two and Marcella continues to breathe, but eventually her quaky breathing starts to starts to take a rhythm, and you can see that she's been grabbing onto this little uh, cloth flower, and she eventually loosens up a little bit as she breathes. Carl says, "What's what's that, Marcella?" And she says, "Oh, this is a flower. Um, um, Miss Ellie says that because my daddy gave it to me. It's magic." And Carl says, well, Miss Ellie's right. Did you know that that means it can dance? You need to hold it out. Then you gotta sing to it. But I don't know any song. Well, let's do the best song I know, okay? And as the three of you sing, you can see the flower and starts to ripple out of the insides and it just ripples in and out. And she's like, it's it's dancing, it's dancing. And you and Carl just kind of smile. They'd never actually talked about kids before. It was Carl who brought it up over dinner, a week after the iron wind, and it was Ellie who immediately shut it down. That night she paced and muttered to herself and occasionally chewed on her knuckles, and Carl listened, calm and soothing and kind as always, catching her hands in his before she could do any damage with her gnawing. Two days later over breakfast, Ellie told Carl that they'd have to make sure to pound all the nails flat on the walls for safety before the baby started crawling. Took a few more hours before she was ready to admit how much time she'd already spent pouring over patterns for baby socks. Next month, they tacked on a room in the back and Ellie built a sturdy but very crooked crib, 
Carl painted it his favorite color, an almost offensively hideous yellow. Some afternoons, he buried himself in scribbled up sheet music and pens almost out of ink, because who better to share the wonder of the world with than a child? And how could he not write a thousand songs for their daughter? While Carl sang and his scarf danced lazily along on the coat rack, Ellie strung together silk peonies one by one to hang over the nursery window and planned stories to tell in blanket forts, thought of how to explain loud thunder and finding handholds on climbing rocks, pictured patching up her girl's first skin knee, teaching her how to fix her first broken toy, watching her crawling turn to walking turn to running, hearing her start to speak and learn to sing, to sing like Carl, and to throw a punch if the occasion arose. Ellie bragged to Carl that their daughter would say mama before dada. He nodded good-naturedly and told her that dada is easier for most children to say. She stuck out her tongue and kept knitting socks. When Ellie and Carl lost their daughter, the world stopped. And then time as time does kept ticking forward, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. In the usual quiet of Russell, Carl kept moving as well as he could because Ellie didn't. Ellie couldn't. The Tyrannosaurus roars, the door creaks open, and unlike your birthday, Ellie, you don't race to see Carl. Uh, and by this point, he's realized that sometimes a little bit of space and a little bit of quiet is what you need. So you hear his uh, scarf slowly slither off the hat, flutter onto the stand. The coat still has to like struggle a little bit and uh, trying to be quiet. It kind of just flops its way up like an inchworm. And he just walks over to you. And where where do you spend your days? By the window, but not the window looking out over the path. Just leaning up against it. Carl comes in and he sets his uh, hand on your shoulder and he just kisses your cheek uh, softly and gently and carefully. And he can't resist to make the one joke that he always makes, although he, he secretly hopes that there's an actual answer this time. And he says, uh, Ugh, see anything new today? You know, uh, I was talking to that uh, Aeon priest again today. Blow hard like usual, but uh, he, he had a bit of an idea. Ellie, the corner of her mouth has pulled up a little bit at Carl's some calling someone a blowhard. <laughs> uh, but she'll look over at him for the first time. He uh, reaches over and you can see he's reaching into some of the cupboards, the one where you put all the things that you're never going to use again, never going to touch. And stuff starts spilling out onto the ground. And eventually you see Carl pull out one of the three candles. He walks it over to you and he, and he hands it and he says, I, uh... Something we talked about today was something doesn't have to be that physical thing to be. He grabs your hand. There's no change in what physically happened. But and he, uh, he looks at you with his like old young man face. <laughs> and he kind of smirks and he almost like points you as a reference. He says, our bodies and our hearts aren't always in sync. We're uh, never going to meet her, but that doesn't mean we uh, have to forget her. And he grabs your hand. With your consent, he'll move it, and both of you will turn the candle on. With your hand closer to the flame. And he says, that light will never fade. Uh, and so our kiddo won't either. So Ellie lit the first candle. There's a saying that time heals all wounds, but it doesn't. No one thing could heal that loss. But they made an altar to start with. Carl would whisper little songs sometimes when he passed the painted sky next to the nursery door. 
He'd added his splotchy round birds among Ellie's lopsided clouds. They sat together next to the strung peonies and tiny socks and crumpled sheet music. One afternoon, for the first time in a long time, Ellie flung herself at Carl as he came down the path after work. And this time, when Carl brought up kids, Ellie didn't need time to think. It wasn't hard to find children to adopt, but meeting them for the first time, actually talking to them and playing and deciding if they might be happy in a home like Carl and Ellie's, that part fell to Carl. You're the charming one, she'd say. I'd just scare them off before you can even get to know them. He would tell her about his meetings. Other kids he met were wonderful, but they were never quite the right fit. Ellie knew this child was special because Carl was babbling about them even before he'd flung open the door. His scarf practically launched itself onto the coat rack in excitement as he'd explained how well the visit had gone. How? They're only a few years old, but they don't seem like it. They were smart, sweet. They're passionate, they're curious, and Ellie, they can sing. I've, I've never seen anything like them. They were perfect. You're gonna be so excited, I just, I just know that you two will be best friends. He finally paused for a breath. I was told we need to come back tomorrow if we wanted to adopt. Ellie told Carl he should go without her. She said she should clean up the house, knowing full well Carl was the one who was good at that. Should have some food ready in case they were hungry when they arrived. Should do this or that, because Ellie was terrified. She was the protector, but he was the nurturing one. He was the one a kid would want to come home with. He was the one who could make a good first impression. They could meet Ellie afterward, have time to get used to her clumsy, awkward, sometimes abrasive way of being. Carl left with a hum of reassurance and a kiss and a promise to be back in a few days with their child. And Ellie let him go. She waited by the window for them. And waited. And waited. And waited. And waited. It's always quiet without Carl. I mean, it's, it's always quiet with him, but that quietness felt warm, like the sunbeam on a summer afternoon. Carl didn't come back that night, or the night after that, or the night after that. How long did Ellie wait? Well, she waited too long. And when she decided to go, when she decided to look why and how and where... I mean, you're you're a, a squishy, fragile bean in a small town protected by a giant rooster. But Carl always came back. And so when Carl didn't come back, Ellie had to go to him. Because Carl was just, just waiting for her. She just needed to check the path, look out the window a little further. Maybe he was hiding to surprise her. Maybe he had a box. Maybe he was slowed down traveling with two people. Maybe he was injured. Maybe he was kidnapped. Maybe he was... Nah. Nah, I couldn't be. No. Carl wasn't. Because he was Carl. He was going to be in in the next town. He he was going to be mayor of of a town. He was going to be king. Maybe there was a a music festival you had never heard about. Uh, Some random friend he made. You could be on the moon anywhere, but anywhere but that ditch. Carl.